Hello and welcome to another Doctor Decision and Coach podcast. My name is Dennis McCurdy, aka Coach. I'm here with my partner in crime, Dr. Leo Polozadi, Doctor Decision, and a special guest, Leslie Polozadi. All right, today we want to give you some down-to-earth, honest, usable insights, suggestions, and techniques to improve your decision making. Decisions set the stage for everything you do and everything you don't do. Everything is a decision. Even deciding not to decide is a decision. Some researchers say we make up to 35,000 decisions a day. Many of those decisions are automatic. They're habits. Now, let's get on with the show. Leo, Leslie, welcome. Thanks, Dennis. Good morning, Leslie. Morning, Leo. How are you doing in beautiful Massachusetts? Very good, thank you. Well, it's because you don't pay taxes here. So, even though you're pretty high-powered in what you've done, the process of the decisions is the same that everybody benefits from. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we've decided to bring in some people here and there to, uh, well, other than hear us all the time, something new. I like hearing <laughs> Anyway, uh, the bottom line here is the way I summarize it, is your decisions and your work to give up a high-paying, prestigious job and giving that up to move on and do something else. And that's what, how, did it, how did this all start? Well, let me, let me just give you 30 seconds of background about myself. So uh, I was born in uh, Massachusetts. Um, I went to school in New York and then went to law school in Tennessee. Um, and I started working uh, for a law firm in the state of Delaware, which is no one knows it's a small state, but it's sort of the corporate capital of the, of the United States. So I practiced law there for almost 13 years. It was private practice. I was in a law firm. I did some patent litigation, intellectual property stuff, and then I also did uh, corporate law, so going in the specialized court that's in Delaware to resolve business disputes. And I liked it. I mean, the law is interesting, it's intellectual, it's challenging, it's, it's all of that stuff, but I didn't love it. Um, so I, what I would do, uh, I started volunteering at a, at a local zoo. There was actually a zoo behind the law firm where I worked. And it's not a big zoo, but, you know, what we did is we would go to schools and fairs and we would take, they call them program animals, like armadillos or snakes, that was my, my favorite. And you would go to a school or you'd go to a fair and then you would, you would just talk to people about the animals. And so everyone or a lot of people are afraid of snakes. So one of the things that I like doing the most is to help people get over a fear of snakes. And I said, man, I have more fun doing that than I do if you win a trial for some, some big company and they get more money or lose less money or whatever the situation is. So, so what I realized, and this is sort of getting to, to, to the decision of, okay, but why, why leave that if it was, if it was good? Um, it's because I didn't love it and I wanted to do something different. So at first I made sort of a, a soft decision. I said, man, I've been going to safari in Africa and a bunch of times, and I really like it there, and it's different, and I could work with animals because I really like doing that at the zoo, and so maybe I should do, do something like that. I, uh, since you're my daughter, <laughs> I know a lot of this stuff, but a lot of it I don't know. I thought it was interesting when you came up with this term, uh, soft, de soft decision, which really makes sense as a, as a way of looking at things. Procrastination is one thing and decision is the other thing, but soft decision is kind of interesting. Um, one of the things you had said to me at one point was that one of the attorneys where you worked was complaining about work overload or that type of thing. And you said to him, as I recall, something along the lines of, why don't you 
leave, you know, do something different. And he said, I, I, I can't. You know, I own whatever, two houses, four, four BMW. Well, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, it was a lot of stuff. And one thing that you had said that I thought was really interesting, you had said to me at one point, how much money does a person need? Which really struck me. So obviously you were making a lot of money, and here it is, you're leaving that to go work with animals. Yeah, uh, it, it was true. There were some people that I worked with that were just, they stayed there because they could make money. And I did work with some people who loved practicing law, and those were my favorite people to work with because that's that was their passion. But uh, I read an article a long time ago that said, it was a study about happiness, and it said, look, if you make a certain amount of money, at the time it was about 80000 uh, U.S. per year, th- then you can have a house and you can have food and you can have insurance and, and you can sort of feel feel safe and, and happy. You know if your car breaks down, you can go and fix it. But when you go above 80000 you have to get to like millions and millions of dollars where you can have your own private jet and pilot and all that stuff before it sort of has a different meaning and then you can start you know, creating foundations and, and stuff like that. So, so I had I was over the eighty thousand mark, but I wasn't. There was no private jet thing, you know, happening. So, so you're happy, but it's not, you know, it's not the, it's not, it's not passion. Gee, no private jets. Yeah, I know it was, it was rough. <laughs> but I mean, what are you going to do? So you've got a nice house and you've got nice cars and stuff. But that's, I mean, that's great. But, but, but the thing that I really liked was was animals. So, you you said, you know, in the beginning, I I called it a soft decision. So it, those are like easy decisions to make because everyone can always say, oh, I've always wanted to do this. And then if you say, which is what I said, oh, but it's on a, it's a five-year plan because five years is, is like still kind of long out, but it's, it's not, you know, but it's not so long that you, you don't think you can achieve it. So I, I made that, that soft decision, wow, this would be, um, this would be great if I can, if I can move somewhere and, and do something with, with wildlife. I put it on my own five-year plan, and then I, I, I confided in one of my friends, and we would talk, and, and after like the second year, she said, so, you know, you keep saying it's a five-year plan, but now two years have elapsed, so th- this is a rolling five-year plan, <laughs> and I said, oh, that's fair, and so then, then, then you kind of get it put to you, you know, are you, you're going to do it or not? So the impetus for the decision was, this was getting boring for you? Yeah, I had more fun doing stuff with animals than I did going to trial. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Some people would make a joke about attorneys when you say animals. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess I can't do that. So you had um, a lot of thought and a five-year plan, which is an interesting thing. A lot of people talk about that, and a soft decision uh, to make these changes. How did how did that turn around to actually ending up in Africa? Yeah, it's funny. I think when you make decisions, sometimes you can remember the time that you made them and, and sometimes not. And this was one that I can remember the time. So um, I had a, a long-term relationship that I had broken off about maybe a year before I actually made the decision. And then I was dating some guys and it was fine, but it wasn't going anywhere. And I, and I wasn't getting what I loved doing, which was being able to work with animals. So there was a point um, where actually we, we, we came to visit in, in Massachusetts at the end of October 2014. And then I said, you know what, to my, my then boyfriend, I said, this is just, this isn't what I'm looking for. And so I broke up with him. And the next day I started my spreadsheet about what I was going to do um, in order to, to leave the U.S. and move to Africa and work with animals. So 
that was the decision. It was do wildlife conservation in Africa. And I remember the same friend that said, you know, you've got this rolling five-year plan. She said, wow, but that's great. You, you know what you want to do. And I said, but wait a second, doing conservation in Africa is not, <laughs> that's, that's not real specific. So, um, but I knew to, to make it happen, I had to do two things. So the first thing was I had to figure out how to tie up everything in the U.S. I had a house, I had a car, I had a job. And so you need, I needed to get the house sold and get my belongings organized, all of, all of that stuff. And then I had to figure out what to do when I got there. Because you, you can't just buy a plane ticket and then hope that it's, that it's going to work out. I want to ask about the spreadsheet because that's a good uh, message for people who uh, think along these lines at, at whatever level. It doesn't have to be as extravagant as yours, but uh, that ha having a spreadsheet. So you really, uh, so an organized process. I had a Gantt spreadsheet, G-A-N-T-T, -T, those charts where you can write the task on the, on the rows and then the columns, oh, really? you can write the, the that, dates. Yeah. Yeah. And then you shade in, I mean, there's like nicer software to do it, but I just did it in Excel. And then you shade in the time frame that you're going to complete the task. And the, and the task can be, one milestone was, was get the house sold. But to sell a house, maybe you've got to do some renovations, which I had to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've got to stage it for selling. You've got to go through your possessions. And then you've got a whole bunch of little smaller subtasks that go into it. So I had a Gantt chart that I, <laughs> I worked on that a lot. <laughs> now, another major decision here was that you had uh, mentioned that you looked uh, at schools in Australia. Yeah, so I, I've, I'd gone to Africa a bunch of times on safari when I worked as a lawyer, um, and I loved all, the, all parts of Africa that I went to. But when, when I sat there, because I said, look, I've saved a bunch of money from being a lawyer, but it's not enough money that I don't have to work for the rest of my life. So I said, okay, I'm going to give myself four years, which was a random amount of time, but four years to figure out what it is that I'm going to do and, and earn money from. So when you, when you go to other countries, right, you have to get your visas organized. You have to make sure that you can be there. And, and so, so I started looking. So you've got to be specific when you go. So, so I said, okay, let me, let me follow a process because I don't know what the result is going to be because wildlife conservation is really broad. I said, let me follow a process that, and if it's a reasonable process, then I should get this, a reasonable result that I'm happy with. So I started off um, by, by planning out, okay, I'm going to do like a, a volunteer program at a, a wildlife sanctuary, at a snake farm, at a research facility, and I'm going to do things to see, okay, do I like that? And one of the things I considered was, was going back to school. I had never been to Australia, still haven't, would still like to go. But I said, maybe I'll go to Australia and learn something about, uh, about those, that wildlife too. But then I thought, uh, I ultimately rejected that. Because, you know, when you go into school, now you're going for like another three-year program and stuff. And I wanted to, to do stuff. This, this process of uh, uh, charts and, and so forth, uh, five years and four years to become employed and all this, where did you develop those skills to make those types of decisions? Well, um, when I was in, in undergrad, I majored in sociology and math. And math teaches you math, but it also teaches you to think logically and you've got to show your work. Then I went to law school, mostly because I didn't want to be a doctor. I have this thing with blood, so doctor is definitely out. <laughs> um, and with a law degree, you can do, like, it qualifies you to do a lot of stuff. To be a lawyer, you have to know how to think, how to analyze, how to read, how to write, how to research. So, so those skills you learn and develop 
as a lawyer, and then they transfer into a whole bunch of other um, uh, areas. So I think I the whole spreadsheet thing uh, that that definitely came from that background. That's interesting. So Leslie, you uh, you don't like blood, but you like snakes. <laughs> Correct. I don't like getting bitten by snakes. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good. Uh, that's some discussions about that in the family. Uh, another thing you had mentioned. Um, before when we were talking, is post-decision stress. Mm. So it was really interesting. Um, I made the soft decision to do wildlife conservation in Africa, and then I started taking steps towards it in November 2014. And like I said, I can it was a weekend. I can pinpoint sitting on the couch and opening up Excel. But after I made the decision, and, and, and as I had gotten my Gantt chart going and everything, I said... I started having anxiety and thinking, oh my God, but what if I what if I do this? I mean, when I worked as a lawyer, I made a decent amount of money and now I was going to move to Africa where my goal wasn't to make money. And I said, oh my God, what if I, I wake up one morning and I, I don't have any more money left? Like, what if I just use up my savings? Which sounds really weird to say because, it, 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 okay, obviously you can go in and you can check your bank balance and you control how much you spend. I mean, it's not like it just disappears. But, um, but it took a long time. Um, I actually did, I don't know if I told you this, that I did a um, MBSR, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, one of those courses. Because it's really, you know, you're worried about what if I screw this up? And then finally, I convinced myself that one, I wasn't an idiot and I wouldn't wake up one morning and say, oh my God, I blew all, you know, all of my savings. And two, I focused on, like, you have other options. I mean, I'm still a, a Delaware lawyer. I still pay my inactive, you know, bar dues and everything. So what's the worst thing that can happen? I have to go back to the job that I liked? Okay. <laughs> That's not so bad. Yeah, um, I was thinking as you're talking to, there are people, when they hear this, they, they must be thinking, wow, how did she even come up with these other, like that MBSR training? Mm. Okay, and that's pretty, but a lot of people may not know about that. Mm. How did, I mean, you didn't see a therapist or anything about this, so this no. is the stuff you came up with? There was a, some of my friends did yoga, and mm. in Delaware, the yoga studio, there was the MBSR, like, practice that was literally next it's door. It's mindfulness-based Stress reduction, yeah, yeah. And no, and so I signed up for yoga, and then I saw they offered this course, and I, this, it was like six weeks or something. I mean, it was, it was really good. And so I signed up for it and took it, literally, because it was in the same building as the yoga studio. I mean, it was that fortuitous kind of thing. Yeah, that is, that is something. Because uh, so, what that says to me is that, and for people out there listening, that um, you, know, you keep your options open, you look for different things, no matter what level you're at. Yeah. Because you never know how, how it's going to go. And I think it's this whole thing about not being stuck in something you didn't really want to do anymore was, was great what you did. So anyway, you, you sold the house and organized stuff and, uh, and so forth. Um, and then the next steps were, were what? Learning more? Or yeah, so I had my little Gantt chart and I got my house sold. And then I, it was time to get the visas and, and figure out what to pack. The packing was, um, was intense. So I started, uh, first year I, I did a volunteer program at a wildlife sanctuary in Namibia. Um, then uh, at a research station in Namibia as well. And it was really fun. It was super enjoyable. I, I mean, I really liked it. Then I did um, a little um, 
uh, a couple months, actually at a snake farm in Kenya, which I loved because I said before I love snakes. And I wanted to be able to know how to catch them or help someone if they got bitten by a snake without having to kill the snake, because that's the default. You just kill the, kill the snake. So um, at each of the different places that I was at, they offered me a job, but I, it wasn't right. You know, I mean, once you, you do all the stuff that you have to do and get yourself all the way over to another continent, now you're going to be choosy about <laughs> what it is you want to do. So I said, no, 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 I had fun, but let me, let me continue with something else. So the something else was I, I wanted to, to learn more. So in, in South Africa in particular, because it's one of the more developed countries in Africa, um, in the continent of Africa, they have these guiding courses, so field guiding, so the people that take you on safari when you, when you go. And it's two months, and then there's different sort of um, add-ons that you can do. You can take a course in, in birding, specifically. You can take a course in, in how to walk with dangerous game in the bush. So I started with the basic level one field guiding course. It was really interesting. I learned a ton of stuff about an environment that I had seen before but didn't really know, you know a lot about. So, so I did a couple of those courses, and what I really liked actually was walking in the bush and, and having an encounter with, with dangerous games, so with a lion or a leopard or elephant or whatever, on foot with, with people. So I decided to look for a field guiding internship at a, at a reserve in South Africa, and I got an internship um, in Madikwe Game Reserve, which is, um, I mean, I live there now. It's, the, it's awesome. It's one of the coolest places that you can be. The wildlife sightings are amazing. If you like tigers and lions running around. Yeah. <laughs> well, tigers, no tigers, but <laughs> lions and leopards running around. So, um, so I did a guiding internship there, and then um, I struggled with getting a work visa. So one of the reasons also why I looked towards South Africa is because they had different visa options for foreigners, and not all of the, the countries have it. So I, I had to do a little, um, I hired a lawyer in the beginning to say, okay, what, how should I, what country should I look at? And so... Um, I was struggling to get the one work permit, which they gave me in the middle of COVID during the hard lockdown. So I thought that was odd. But in, in the meantime, I, you know, you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, but I want to do something. So um, there was a nonprofit uh, organization that was starting in Madikwe. And um, what it was was basically to help the government entity that, that manages Madikwe to help them run it. So it was in areas of anti-poaching. So Medikwe has a lot of rhinos, uh, both black and white rhinos, the two types of rhinos in Africa. And um, uh, for various reasons, poachers were coming to Medikwe and to other parks in South Africa to try to shoot the rhino to cut off its horn. So, so the nonprofit was designed to do anti-poaching work. It was designed to do basic stuff like road maintenance in the reserve. It's all gravel roads, and if you don't keep them up, then it's not nice when guests come. And also um, bush clearing. So there's, um, uh, Medikwe is a neat story because it used to be farmland. But when you have overgrazing or when you have burning of land, then there's some bushes that come that aren't desirable. So we do a lot of bush clearing to get more food for the, for the animals. So anyway, so that nonprofit was being formed. And um, the guy who owns the lodge that I was an intern at as a field guide was starting it up and he said, hey, you know, if you can't get the work visa, don't you want to get the volunteer visa and, and help me with the nonprofit? So I said, oh, cool. And I did. Um, that was easy. And then, uh, as it turns out, my now life partner is the, the owner of the lodge who started the, the nonprofit. So sometimes you get a little bit of luck thrown in. <laughs> and, uh, and now I, I work for the nonprofit. So I, I got permanent residency in South Africa last year, which took, took a while, but it, it got through. And so now I, I work for that nonprofit 
full-time, and, and that's my current job. What, what kind of advice would you have for people um, at, at different levels in the sense of um, how you stuck in there? All, all of that process and uh, visas, and you can't get a visa, and, and uh, have to hire an attorney, and, and whatever. It's not like what's going on in the States now where you can just walk in. Yeah, I mean, some parts of the process are more fun than others. So, you know, if part of the process is go and volunteer at a wildlife sanctuary, I mean, that that was fun. I mean, I had a good time. I learned a lot of stuff. I made friends and all of that. So you people say, oh, my God, you know, you must be so, you know, happy to be in South Africa, which I am. But it's not like every day you jump up and there's like a rainbow in the sky. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like you still have to do the stuff that's that's not fun. That's just what what life is. But. But overall, if you know you're progressing towards a goal and you're learning stuff and you feel, oh, but this is like um, talking to my passion, then you're willing to put up with the visa crap and, mm -hmm. and that stuff that you've got to get through in order to, to make so it you, work. You kept that, those, those goals in your mind and the, uh, obviously the decisions you made, you made a bunch of them, um, stuck. I mean, you, you stayed with it. A lot of people make a decision and they give up a month later, two months later, that type of thing. Yeah. I think it's if you can see progress. If you can see I'm getting there, mm -hmm. then I think it makes it way easier mm -hmm. to stick with the decision. Now, did you ever have any goals specified on this? No, the goal was to be employed in four years. Yeah. So I, well, <laughs> if COVID hadn't happened, it probably would have worked. But so I, I had, I knew the job that I wanted to do mm -hmm. at this nonprofit in Medique, um, but I could only volunteer for it until I got permanent residency. So I didn't meet the four year, I knew what I wanted to do, but I couldn't get paid for it until starting last year, but it was fine. I mean, that's that's really not the end of the world. Wow. Um, so you have permanent residency now in Africa. Yeah. And uh, you have this partner at this lodge and you do all different types of work and you're basically uh, attempting to stop the uh, poachers from chopping off the rhino Something you told me that I didn't realize is, uh, I guess in China and some places they believe that uh, the tusk is uh, aphrodisiac or something like that, but it's really the same as the nail on your finger. Yeah, uh, so nothing special. They they call it rhino horn. They call it elephant tusk and rhino horn. So rhino horn is made of keratin. It's the stuff in your fingernails and your hair. It it has no demonstrably no medicinal value. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of beliefs from a long time ago in a lot of the Asian countries yeah. that it cures cancer, um, and wow. the, in addition to the aphrodisiac stuff. And apparently there's a lot of cultures that like to use the full horn as like mm -hmm. a sheath for a dagger. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a status symbol. Mm -hmm. So. Um, one of the things that a lot of the countries in Africa are doing to protect the rhinos is they're, is they're dehorning them. So you can have a rhino in your reserve and you can dart it like a vet puts it to sleep. Then you can take a chainsaw and you can cut off the horn just like you would cut your fingernails. And then you wake the rhino up and the rhino is fine. It can live without the horn. And there's a debate about, you know, does, does the rhino okay without the horn or does it have to have the horn? Anyway, the thing was, you know, naturally it, it has a horn. So um, Madikwe is one of the few reserves where we haven't um, yet, Touchwood, had to dehorn the, the rhinos because we do a lot of focused work to catch the poachers who are, who are coming to kill so, the rhinos. So someone's listening and they say, wow, she's done all of this and wow, but I, I don't, how can I ever do things like that? Not necessarily the level you're at, but just those decisions of putting into practice and, and, and using it. Do you have something a summary of advice for people about stick to or whatever you'd like to call it? Yeah, I mean, I think 
every if you're doing something like this where you're making a big change, everyone's path by definition is going to be different because everyone is going to have their own unique situation. Maybe they're married, maybe they have kids, maybe mm-hmm. they're single, maybe whatever the the situation is. But I think you so it's got to be very personal and very specific to you. So that's that's sort of the first part, which is you can listen to other people's stories and then sort of take principles from them. But ultimately, it's it's not a it's not a template for other people because someone else's situation is going to be different. Um, but I think the idea of the the making of the decision and and taking the active steps because you can make a decision and not do anything about it, and then to me it doesn't really count. But as soon as you start taking active active steps towards it, you've got to have a little bit of a leap of faith that you're not going to mess it up, right? Because otherwise your brain is going to get in the way and say, oh my God, you know, what are you doing? So like baby steps in the movie. Yeah, baby steps. You feel this like sub-goals. Anything you want to add? It's coach, not really. Okay. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's good advice because in the active decision process, uh, what we're trying to get across to people is that people uh, uh, develop some options. First of all, you have to think about you want to do something different maybe. Develop some options. Uh, evaluate them, uh, decide which ones you want to attempt to implement, and then you actually implement it and, and do it. And you're, you're a model for, for what you did because you went through a lot of stuff. For, it took, what, five years before you finally... Yeah, um, I left the U.S. in March of, 20, March of 2016, and then I... Well, I found the job that mm-hmm. I wanted um, mm-hmm. in, in 2019, basically. You know, I, I, when I tell people about it, they'll say... I'm, I was surprised, by the way. I thought people would say, she gave up that kind of money? Because you were a senior lawyer. You weren't doing the work. Mm. Uh, she gave up with that? And Because uh, I don't know the number, because you never told me. <laughs> but, but seriously, uh, that, uh, to go work with animals in Africa? And it's, it's so far out there. Um, but it's not out there, you know? And we, we were talking the other day about when people talk about Africa, they immediately think of, lions running through the jungle when in fact if you go to Pretoria it's a better city than New York City <laughs> of course, everything's better in New York City right now but whatever um, but yeah so just for people to, to, to get that take home message of this is a an active decision process and anybody can do this mm. maybe at a different level different type of job whatever uh, but these stages and steps and I, I love this this term for these soft soft decisions and and so forth. That's that's interesting. Anything else to finish off? Are you coach or? I think the only other thing that I that I would add is when I when I left the U.S. I didn't know this nonprofit didn't even exist when I left the U.S. It wasn't even formed until later. So you don't at any given time you don't you don't know what the future is going to look like. But if you go and and try to find something that you're interested in, then then. You, you have opportunities that you didn't even know were going to be mm-hmm. an opportunity. And, and that was a big part of when you're there and you're meeting people and you're talking to people and you're seeing what's happening, then you, yeah. then you, then you have a choice. And back to the process, you develop alternatives and then you evaluate them and then you start doing it. And, and of course, stick to itness is a big, big issue with certainly in my life it's been that way. That's it, Coach. We're all set? I think so. All right. Thank you very much. I'll Thank you both. <laughs> All right, great. Thanks, uh, Dr. Decision. Leslie, great story. Very well articulated. I think some excellent points. I would encourage people to go back and listen to this one again and again because I think it'll really then cement the whole process that Leslie went through to make this life-changing decision.
with that, we'll say until next time. See you next time. Thanks, everyone.